Hello and welcome to this week's episode of My Camino, the podcast. I want to begin this week by thanking you all for your support and encouragement. The response has been overwhelming over the last three months, and I intend to continue bringing you a weekly story for a long, long time to come. If you're listening and would like to subscribe to the podcast, just go to the podcast icon on your phone, hit search, punch in My Camino, the podcast, and then hit subscribe. A new episode will automatically appear on your phone each week. This week, my guest is the New York-based actor and writer Ginny Bartolone. I was sent an article written by Ginny, an American pilgrim who walked the Camino as a 22-year-old. And the article struck me for two reasons and stuck with me for two reasons. The first was the incredible honesty. The second was Ginny managed to sum up in that article what so many people have told me over the last 13 weeks on My Camino, the podcast. So Ginny Bartolone is on the phone from New York. Ginny, hello and welcome. Hello. Thanks so much for having me, Dan. It's it's very cool to be on your show. Look, I said in the intro I was struck by your honesty in the article that you wrote. Can I say that in it you say you're an anxious child, someone who is not an athlete, not outdoorsy, mm-hmm. and not someone who believed in blowing savings on worldly adventures. So what <laughs> motivated you to walk the Camino de Santiago? It was 2009 and you were 22, I think, wasn't it? Yeah, so I actually, I always say that I discovered the Camino almost by accident. Um, I went to a college in New Jersey, I was studying theater, but I went to a liberal arts school so I could study other things while I was there. And they had these special programs called international seminars. And you would essentially choose um, a class to take during a semester, and then you would go to that country for three weeks during one of the breaks. And I know I knew that I wanted to do one of these trips, but my schedule with theater in and out of college was tricky. And the one that lined up with my life essentially was this one that studied the Camino. And I knew nothing about it. I had never thought about going to Spain. I had never studied comparative religion. It just kind of fell into place. So I did this class. I did the trip. I thought it was an amazing thing, the Camino. And then... I forgot about it. And then right as I graduated, my roommate, who I was very close with, said, hey, when I'm graduating, I'm going to go hike the thing that you studied. And I was like, oh, okay, you know, enjoy. So a few months after I graduated, I hit a point, as I'm assuming a lot of people do right after graduating college, where just everything kind of hit me at once. It's, you know, the structure of, of school, of college that I had had to lean on for years was gone. And I suddenly realized that the world I had kind of strictly planned out for myself was Mm. not as, you know, clear and dependable as I thought. Um, So about six weeks or so before my friend left, I called her and I said, would that mess with your trip if I came with you? And she said, no, please, please come with me. Um, And so it was almost on a, not a whim, but I, I trusted a, a gut reaction in that kind of moment of confusion right after college. And I just happened to be in a situation where I was able to do that at that point in my life. Um, but I didn't have any idea that it would shift my life so much because now I'm I'm planning to go back to hike the Camino again in two months. And it's it's just become part of me. So I found it almost by accident. And now it's become just a large part of my identity. That's really interesting, and that's one of the things we'll talk about. And 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 you shared that in the piece that you wrote a couple of years back. Can, just take a step back. You're in junior college. Mm-hmm. You, you've studied it as, as an elective. What did you make of it, of the Camino, as an observer, as somebody, I suppose, standing on the outside looking in? Do you remember? I do. I mean, I remember when I got there being amazed that this existed at all. I knew that there were hikes like the Appalachian Trail and um, and other things around America, but I didn't know that there was something the people of so many different types of athleticism, age from all over the world came to do this particular thing that just seemed so different than anything I would have ever considered doing. So being there The first time when I was on my trip, I remember looking at it as, well, this is not something that I could do. 
you know, I, as I mentioned in the article, I didn't call myself somebody who was a hiker yeah. or who could, you know, I had grown up in theater and I had been a dancer and things of that sort, but I, you know, barely got through gym class. I was not a runner. I was not, you know, I was not athletic. So I looked at everybody with a lot of respect and thought it was a very special place and that I would probably never see it again. Um, so I'm not sure what kind of shifted in my mind over that summer when I decided to go of if it was just a point where I was like, maybe I don't care anymore if it's going to be really uncomfortable or that I'm not going to be able to finish it or whatever. It was this feeling of, I, I don't know who I am at all, so I might as well just yeah. go be this. Um, and it, it really helped to kind of be up in the air to challenge myself to do this because it, I don't know if I would have done it if I hadn't been in such a place of confusion and distress yeah, almost. Yeah, yeah, and we'll get to that. But I want to ask you first, do you think you are typical of a young American born in the 1980s? Um, well, it depends. There, there's a lot of, a lot of opinions about what that means, especially over here. And I think, I guess probably everywhere. I would say the thing that makes me feel like I, I don't necessarily fit in with, I guess my generation is that I grew up in the arts. Um, my family both worked in theater and from, I don't know, the age of four, I was sitting in theaters watching rehearsals, right. spending time around adults. And that, you know, it just kind of gives you this sense of belonging from the get go. And I always knew that that's where I felt at home. And a, a lot of that time I spent um, around adults and people of all different ages who just saw you as a person and an actor opposed to a child. So it wasn't until I got older when I started realizing like, oh, we have these these categories and generations that yeah. we fall into. Yeah. I was like, no, we're just, you know, we're we're actors and we're we're people. So it was more of a shock as I got older and left and wasn't in the theater world as much that I realized there were these these labels. Um, so I don't know. In that sense, I don't feel necessarily like what people would consider a a, a typical person of my generation. But then again, I don't know that many people who do. Yeah. Um, I hear about them, but I don't. A lot of the people who are in and out of the arts in my life all seem to kind of fall into their own space. Um, but yeah, I, I guess at that point when I decided to hike as a 22-year-old, you could say that that might be a, a typical experience of somebody leaving college. The, and, yeah. yeah. Just, the, reason I, I wanted to, the reason I asked you that question, Ginny, is because you, you talk about anxiety and you were an mm -hmm. anxious child and you, you had a lot of self-doubt. And, mm -hmm. and I imagine that there was a lot of pressure on you as a 22-year-old coming out of college. And, and and here you are, and you you mentioned yourself, you, you didn't really know which direction you wanted to take. And that's, I want mm. to just read what, what something you wrote. You said, I had two options for my post-college savings. Start off with a nice, responsible nest egg in New York City or blow it all on five weeks hiking across a country. I still thank my irrational, anxious brain and my incredible friend for helping me choose the latter. So that was a big decision for an anxious 22-year-old mm -hmm. American young woman. How mm -hmm. does it now resonate with you, the Camino, nine years, 10 years later? How does it resonate with you now? You said it stayed with you and it changed your life. How? Well, it's especially that sentence that I wrote where when I left college, me and, and many other people were asked, well, what are you doing next? And I was always told, you know, these are the steps you take to have a career, even a career in theater that's so unpredictable. But what you do is you take your saved money and you move to New York and you you start the process immediately. And, you know, it. I hit that point where a lot of things, emotions, anxieties, things like that, that I hadn't confronted up to that point came to a head, made me realize, okay, maybe it's a bad idea if I leap into my career the way I'm so-called supposed to do. And now that I'm looking back after, you know, eight years, 
nobody actually can plan exactly how their career is going to go in their 20s. And if I had jumped in and said, oh, this is perfectly planned, it's going to turn out perfectly well, you know, it, that's silly. But I definitely believed at that point I was doing something completely irresponsible and ridiculous and that I was going to piss some people off by, you know, throwing my responsibilities yeah. up in the air. Yeah. So now looking back, I'm even happier that I made that choice because I don't think I would be where I am today emotionally and just artistically if I hadn't made that irresponsible choice, if I hadn't chosen to do something kind of out of the ordinary and challenging and strange for me. Um, I don't know if I would have started writing. So the Camino right. to me was a leap of faith that, that gave me a place to, to grow. Um, yeah, so I'm really, I'm very happy I did it. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it, how do you explain it to people, Ginny? How do mm. you put into words what you got out of the Camino? If, if, if you're at a dinner party and someone says to you, Ginny, didn't you do that Camino? And how do you explain mm. it to people, the impact it's had on, on your life? I've, I've read so much about what other people have said about their experience and some of it has stuck with me because it, it takes a long time to figure out how to put words to it. Yeah. Um, and I read something, I think on the Camino forum, there's like that big forum yeah. online that everybody yeah. you know, chats with each other. Um, somebody wrote that they hadn't experienced quite that type of freedom in their adult life anywhere else. The idea that your only responsibility every single day is to get from one place to another. You're completely supported by people around you. You don't need to connect with anything or anyone else. And that's it. You're, you're just there in the moment, putting one foot in front of another. And psychologically, that's a lot of just freedom to yeah. be in that moment. And I don't think I knew that that opportunity existed anymore in our world. So when people ask me, I tend to say, like, it's a, I'm sure this exists somewhere else in the world, but this is one place I can tell you it definitely does. It's, it's a place you can go. It's something you can do and feel completely and 100% free for a few weeks to just be however you need to be in that moment, whether it's terrible and uncomfortable or, you know, happy and, yeah. and spacey or whatever, and just not have any expectations or... I don't want to say goals, but yeah, there, nobody needs anything from you and you don't need anything from it. Yeah. You're just doing it. Yeah, isn't it great? So, it's yeah. great, isn't it, Ginny, that nobody says, what do you do for a living? Where do you live? What sort of mm -hmm. car do you drive? No, you're just a pilgrim. Yeah. Everybody's a pilgrim. And it strips away all of those preconceived notions that you have to be something or be somebody. You're just a pilgrim. Mm -hmm. It's so, it's, it is, you're right, so freedom. And you say it was one of those rare windows in life when I could temporarily leave my responsibilities behind. That, too, is sure. certainly part of the allure, isn't it? Yeah, and that's one thing I do tell people because a lot of people ask, what does it cost? And I said, in the scheme of things, you can do it for very little money. You know, you can do it for a lot of money. You can do it with a smaller amount of money. And, you know, obviously finances have, you know, they are a factor. But time is the biggest thing time, just having that time where you can actually say, I'm going to step away from my responsibilities of home for one week, six weeks, whatever it is, that's, that's the more difficult thing yeah, yeah. for me to find. So I always tell people, you know, it's, it could, it definitely can be for anyone. The tricky part is saying, this is a moment in my life when I can step away and everything will be okay at home. So right after college, that was a good point. And then at this point in my life now, I'm leaving a job and transitioning to something else. So I recognize this as a moment of, okay, nobody's expecting me to come right back home so I can go. And I just, you know, I have, I've noticed these windows that I have to kind of, you know, grab onto because time is almost more rare than, than yeah. the money for it. Yeah, that's right. In your article, you came up with five ways the Camino changed the way you relate to your mind and body. You say the first is love and celebrate the ugly parts. That's very, mm -hmm. that's very important, isn't it? Yeah, and it's, 
especially because I grew up in theater, as you get older as an actress, especially in your 20s, you start to realize how much pressure is put on your appearance and keeping yourself fit and being thin and all of these things that I wasn't raised with. I had very, I have very open-minded and um, caring parents that did not put pressure and still don't put pressure on body type. But it was almost more of a shock to me than when I started to move into the commercial theater and acting world that that is important and people do pay attention to that. So it started to creep into my head as I got older and that was another way that the Camino represented freedom to me, that everyone around you smells, everyone around you is covered in this kind of thick, you know, brown dust most of the day. Um, and just your your clothes, they get coated. You only have two shirts and a pair of pants or whatever. So it's it's really not about what you look like at all. And I started to really appreciate my different, you know, my feet, my knees, my everything for what they were doing for me opposed to what they looked like. And that was huge because suddenly my feet were not these pretty little things that were supposed to, you know, look nice. They were, I, you know, something I had to deeply respect and listen to and take care of. Um, and that's something that's really stuck with me even since I got home of when your body is telling you that something's wrong, you listen to it and you take care of it because it's there's a reason it's telling you so that's that was a big thing it was not about me looking a certain way or primping a certain way it just you know my body was a vehicle that needed to be cared for um so i could complete this crazy thing you say um, you say the i hiked with yeah yeah go no go on you hiked with um i say um and i had different variations of experiencing this because i had one friend who i walked with that was probably more enlightened in this idea than I was, who had just was teaching me to let go of any kind of physical problems. And then another friend I walked with who was struggling more than any of us who um, learned to stop wearing makeup as she was walking and just really kind of went totally natural by the end. And we joked that by the end we would arrive just, you know, hairy, makeupless. <laughs> crazy looking wild women and we were so proud of that by the end and yeah and that's something that I've I've really been proud of that I learned there that it's it's way more comfortable and healthy to feel that way for me yeah love and celebrate yeah. the ugly parts you say yeah. the, the <laughs> you, you say the brain is a muscle how why mm -hmm. it it was interesting when you have that much time when you're walking and that's the other thing like you said when you talk to people at dinner parties and I always bring up time when you're doing something that physically straining for so many hours of the day, your mind has a lot of time to be very aware yeah. of the present and you suddenly become aware of all of the thoughts that are circling through your head. And in you know normal life, I say when I'm home, it's easy to kind of push them aside or not notice them and just say, well, I'm busy. I'm doing this. I'm at work. I can't pay attention to that. But when you are hiking this much, you can't ignore it. It's like um, a voice that just starts to speak. And I started to realize how negative the thoughts were that were constantly cycling in my head. And as our, you know, our physical muscles and our body were getting stronger, we were trying to talk through and think through ways to no longer use our muscle of our brain that way in the same way that we had been because you tell yourself every single morning, I don't want to be uncomfortable. I don't like the heat. My feet hurt. I'm angry. You know, that's the thought that's going to keep popping up. But instead, with all of that time, we started to realize there were other options. You know, we could scream and cry and then get through it and talk about other things. We could laugh. We could realize that at the end of the day, you're not actually, you know, you don't die from being uncomfortable. And realizing those things really helped strengthen the part of my brain that realized that you can exercise, how do I say this? You can exercise positive thoughts. Yeah. So it's not that one day you just wake up and you're like, I'm going to choose to be happy. I've never really, you know, enjoyed that psychology. It's not, it's not an easy thing to just say, like, I'm not going to be worried anymore. 
Gomi. It's it's something that happens over time, and and happens with exercise the same way you get used to running or walking. So we realized that as we were going that the parts of our mind that we wanted to strengthen, we would just reinforce through the way we talked about ourselves and each other and the things that, that we let happen. So instead of, you know, pushing everything down and ignoring it, we just let it come up and we let it be. So it, you know, we didn't finish the Camino, these perfect enlightened beings that didn't have any problems, but it did teach me that there was a place to go and something that I could do about the way my brain had been working up until then. And your brain was fitter like a muscle was fitter at the end of it. I, I love it. The brain is a muscle. And you say your third point, it's okay to be a little smelly. And I think we touched on that, <laughs> didn't we? Because it's kind of is okay. Everybody else is. And there's a great freedom in, in being a little smelly as well, right? Yeah. And it was just this realization that nobody around me cared and that it didn't mean that my body was ill or that there was something wrong with me. It was just about, wow, my body is sweating because it doesn't want to overheat. And that's great. I'm so glad my body is sweating. I'm so glad it's doing what it's supposed to be doing. Um, so, yeah, it, I think it's similar to, you know, loving the ugly parts. It was something to embrace and say, okay, so I'm a little gross right now because I'm doing this thing, but it's something, the thing that I'm doing is something that I'm proud of and brings me joy. So if that means that I'm going to not look or smell that great, you know, that's the, the <laughs> balance that I'm willing to, to have Yeah. instead of pretending that I can keep everything together and, and keep everything looking pretty and smelling perfect while I'm doing the thing that I love. It's, you know, it was a lot of freedom of letting that go. You know what? I, I love that shower. The shower. Oh, man. And how good you feel when you put on the clean clothes after the shower. It's such a great feeling. Because I have, I su remember, yeah. Yeah, I have such fair skin and I walked in summer, mm -hmm. I had to cover myself with sun cream. So, and, mm -hmm. and, I, and by the time, so I, it just all sticks to you. The dust and the dirt just sticks to you. So I was yeah. so filthy. And just to clean it all off was just such a great feeling at the end of the day. It was just awesome. You say your body has something to tell you. What's your body trying to tell you? We were, the thing that this always brings me back to is we were about three days in and we met another girl about our age from Canada. And she told us that the first time she had hiked the Camino, she had um, ripped her Achilles tendon about four days in and she was about a mile outside of a town where anyone could help her and a pilgrim had to go back and find someone and it was it was a, a dangerous situation and she said that she believed one of the reasons why this happened is because she was not rolling her feet correctly as she was walking up hills and she was rushing so her message for us was don't rush and listen to your body whenever it tells you that anything is wrong and up until that point, before we had met her, we were rushing. There's this feeling in the beginning that, or we had created in our heads, that if you didn't walk fast enough, that maybe you wouldn't get a bed at the end of the day. Especially in the first few towns, yeah. we felt like people were saying, if you don't get there by 2 o'clock, you won't have a place to stay. So we started to kind of truck it. And in doing that, we were getting grouchy, we were hurting ourselves, and when we met, you know, this friend who said the thing about how she significantly yep. injured herself and had to go home in her first attempt, she said, it, if you injure yourself, you're not going to get anywhere. So about a day after she gave us that message, another girl I was walking with had a bruise on the top of her foot and she found out it was a bruised bone. And we had this realization that if we stopped, we would either have to separate from each other or maybe not make it in time for our flights in Santiago. Yeah. And then there was the other side that were like, well, we don't want to break this pilgrimage up either and get in a cab because that would be breaking, you know, our whole, you know, we're walking the whole thing. We're never yeah. getting in a yeah. car yeah. vow. But halfway through the day, she couldn't, she couldn't even hobble down the road. So we're like, what are we doing? Why are we trying to force ourselves to do something terrible? And, 
that night we ended up stopping in a bar. Um, we had about 10 kilometers left that we were supposed to do, but we went to the bartender and we said, you know, we don't, there's nowhere to stay here. Our friend has really injured herself. Is there anywhere in this town where we can stay? And he said, I have an attic. Like if that's not weird. So above this bar, we gave them, I think like five euros each. And there was this like cute little crawl space and we stayed in an attic and probably had one of the best nights on the Camino. It was just the three of us. And because we rested, we walked a very short period of time the next day and her foot was able to start healing. And we realized the world didn't end. We didn't miss our flights. And if we had kept going or she had kept going on that injured foot, she might have not finished at all. So it was really important both hearing from her and hearing from different generations of people on the Camino saying like, hey, you injure your body now. You're you're going to carry that with you for the rest of your life. So, you know, listen, when you think that something's wrong, don't push yourself because you're being cocky or because you think you're cool or strong. Just stop. Um, and that was that was a really good lesson because when you're not on the Camino and you you think like I have to keep going because this is what I told myself I was going to do. It's ridiculous sometimes because then you're just you're going to hurt yourself more. So I've become very big on if my, my body is screaming something at me, I say, OK, there's a reason I need to rest or I'm going to burn out or hurt something or, you know, something of that sort. Wow, that's yeah. fantastic, Ginny. <laughs> <laughs> the fifth point you make, you say we're capable of so much more. We are capable of so much more. I love that. Mm. It's so true. Yeah. Well, it was interesting, and I've talked about this. I have a, a blog where I've been talking about my process of of going back to the Camino this time. When I left the first time, a lot of not as many people knew about the Camino, and not as many people knew about similar types of hikes, or maybe it wasn't as popular because I got a very strange reaction from my community when I said I was going to do this. Even people who really supported me said, Hey, don't feel bad if you don't finish the whole thing. You know, we know you're not a hiker. You're not super athletic. Like maybe do what you can and come home. And it was just like, Hey, you know, I'm not, I'm not going in with a lot of belief here. <laughs> but when I got back, I found the same kind of message immediately. Everybody would say, I could never do that. And I was like, well, you know, everybody said to me that I probably wouldn't be able to do it. And I thought that too. And then you find out that you just keep getting up every morning and you keep doing it. You know, it's one day you're like, wow, I don't think I'm going to be able to do this for 35 days. And then suddenly there are 25 days left and 15 days left and so on. And then you're there. So I always tell people, I'm like, well, it's just... It's piece by piece, and suddenly you have done the thing you said you probably couldn't do. So whenever people would say to me, that's not for me, I can't do that, I'm like, you know, don't write, you don't write it off. Yeah. Because you're, you're really kind of cutting yourself off from something, and not just this, but many other things by just saying that you are not that kind of person. What's interesting is that with this trip that I'm doing in two months, people have had a totally different reaction They've heard of the Camino, I think, because of the the movie that came out and just general, there's more popularity for yeah. doing things like this. Um, people have been saying, I've always wanted to do that, but I don't know where to start. And that seems to be the thing where people are starting to tell themselves, maybe I can do this, but they don't even know where to, where to begin on how to plan it or train for it or anything like that. But I think that's a huge jump in the general way that people seem to be thinking about themselves, at least in the community that I've been around, where it went from, I could never do that, I think you're nuts, to I've always wanted to do that, but I, I didn't want to say it out loud. Um, so yeah, I wanted, when I wrote that, I just wanted to say to anybody who was feeling uncomfortable about you know, doing something out of the ordinary that we, we don't necessarily have the opportunity to push ourselves in everyday life. Yeah. And because of that, we might not know that we're able to do more than we do every single day in our jobs or at home or wherever. So if you don't have something that says just go a little bit farther, then you just assume that you can't. So I don't know. The, the Camino surprised me because 500 miles sounds ridiculous. But then 
when you break it down, it's really 20 something miles a day. And that's what it's all about. It's really like, well, if you break down the thing you want to do, you can do those things. And together it makes up the big thing you want to do. Yeah. So that's, yeah, I think it's a better way to, to think about things instead of just saying, no, that's not for me. It'll never be for me. Instead, it's about, well, what do I need to do in small increments to do that thing that are within my control? Yeah. Yeah, if and that we, makes sense. It does. It absolutely makes sense. We are capable of so much more. You said you once read that the Camino begins when you reach Santiago. In other words, returning to life and facing everything you learned on the Camino is harder than the hike itself. That's very true, isn't it? And and you talked then about cleaning out your closet and really the and and not knowing what to put back in. And, and really, the, the year after was very difficult for you, even though you'd achieved mm-hmm. you'd you'd achieved so much, and and it took great pride in the fact that you'd achieved so much and discovered all of these things about yourself. It was it was even difficult though when you came home, wasn't it? It's funny, right before um, you and I started this interview, I was looking through my journal from the first Camino, because I, I journal everything and I keep them all like in a little bookshelf. Yeah. And I think I have romanticized how I was feeling on the Camino itself in the past eight years, because I look through these journal entries and <laughs> I was like really angry most days. And I really was uncomfortable in saying that I missed things at home and I you know, was having trouble letting go of responsibilities. So though I remember being there and being on top of the world all the time, that it just wasn't true. And it wasn't until several years after I got home that I started to really use the tools that I had learned on the Camino to help myself, you know, become the person and have the tools to be the person that I would like to be. The year that I got back, I was in such shock for going back into a world that didn't know what I had gone through. And I understand now that I'm a little bit older that that's totally normal, that you know nobody is there with you when you experience something like this. And as supportive as they can be, they, they can only listen. They can't say, yes, I totally understand. I was there with you. Yeah. But I don't know if it was my age or I don't know if I just hadn't really kind of broken through the wall emotionally yet, but that really threw me off. It threw me off that, you know, not everybody wanted to listen to my 8,000 Camino stories. (laughs) Um, But also that suddenly I had dug up all of these things in my mind and then I didn't know what to do with them. I had realized that I had been anxious about this, 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 and this. I realized that I didn't handle these emotions well. And then suddenly I was back in New Jersey and I was like, okay. And it was it was the silence and just the rhythm of regular life coming back where I, I, you know, you go into a place of panic because you're like, wait a minute, I need some time to step back and figure out what to do with all of this stuff that has just come out of my brain. And at that point in my life, I didn't know how to reach out for help to handle that stuff. So it was within that year right after the Camino that – I kind of figured out that I, you know, I did need help to figure everything out with that. So I, I got into therapy right after that, right during that year. And that was very helpful. And then things throughout the next several years, as I moved around and started working in theater more, I started to realize that I had had the tools from the trip itself, but just had no idea how to use them. So when I when I've read that phrase that the Camino begins when you reach Santiago, it's you have all of this great stuff and all of these wonderful experiences, and then you actually have to go implement them into real life. Um, you you know you're ending up back in traffic jams, and you're yeah. paying your bills, and you're you're seeing people go about their days who are not pilgrims. They're not looking at you in the eye. They're not sitting down to dinner with you. You're not sleeping in a room with 20 people, which I didn't think I would miss, but I did. Um, you have to go back and just kind of be a, a human being again. So you feel incredibly different, but you, the world is not. So it's like, you know, it's the typical hero's journey. You return and you don't 
know how to return to the regular world. So with this Camino that I'm about to do, I'm not expecting to have some breakthrough while I'm walking it. I don't expect to come back with all the answers, but at least I know that there is that moment when you return of shock of you have to give yourself some space and you have to be patient with yourself to process all the things that did come up when you were having this experience. So I do feel more confident going into this one just because last time, you know, was a little bit of a disaster when I got home because I, I didn't have patience with myself. Um, so yeah, in a way I'm, I'm just grateful that I got through that and everything's fine, but yeah, it's, that's what I tell people. I, I say, wait and be slow. And it, it takes a long time to realize what, what really happened while you were there. From afar, an actor is someone who needs Ginny to be finely tuned to their emotions. Mm -hmm. You need to be able to switch on and, and off. I, mm-hmm. I know that people say, oh, acting, how hard can that be? Put on a bit of makeup mm-hmm. and play to somebody else, right? But you and I both know that you really need to be acutely, finely tuned to your emotions to be able to conjure up uh, something that's going to be uh, believable, if, if, if that's not the right mm-hmm. word. But you know what I'm trying to sure. say. Sure, yeah, 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 yeah. And I'm certain, I'm certain the Camino helped you in many ways to be able to do that. Um, the brain is a muscle you said before. It must be good as an actor is the question I'm trying to ask to be able to flex, mm-hmm, that, flex, sure. flex that muscle when you need to. Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest, the, the best comparison I've come across is that both hiking or some kind of physical challenge helps you be more present and an actor that is fully present is one that you connect with. So... If you are on stage and you're either completely in la-la land thinking about your lines where you need to be, you know, you're disconnected, then that's one problem because you're you're somewhere else. Or when you're pushing to be in the moment so much that you're not being honest and you're not acting the way you would in normal life and you're, you're screaming and yelling and, and being too extreme, that's not honest either. It's that in-between place of simply being in the moment and as a human being, not as an artist, that is one of the hardest things yeah, to achieve at all. Absolutely. So that's why I feel that, and I've made peace with being an actor, is a lifelong process to grow into. As a child, since I started acting so young, I thought you just, you trained, you did it, and then you you were an actor. You went to auditions and people hired you and that was it. I thought that that would just continue to happen around the time of the Camino when, you know, I was having a bit of a crisis about if I wanted to be an actor or not, I realized, okay, this is not something that you just are or you're not. You're not a talented actor or not a talented actor. It's the same way that you learn as you get older to be more present if you work on it. So the hike was helpful because of that that ability to kind of force you to be exactly there when your body hurts that much, it's kind of hard to ignore the moment. (laughs) And, and it's not to say that your body is always in pain, but you always have to be aware of what you're doing. So the sun is there, the people are there, you're, you're seeing this beautiful new landscape every single moment. So there are always things on the trip to bring you back. It's hard to kind of zone out. So what we were saying before about the brain being a muscle that was a very helpful thing to come back with, to say, I spent so much time in the present moment for the past five weeks. It's It feels much more confident and powerful to stand on stage and just be because you've been in that mindset for so long. And that's one, again, another reason I'm looking forward to going back because I'm transitioning back to my acting career now. And I hope that I do come back with some kind of confidence and focus because I've, I've been out of the game for a little bit and it's really easy when you're not on stage a lot to forget what it's like to have that presence and to have that focus. So, and yeah, does that answer your question? It, it, absolutely think- it does because what you just talked about there I think is energy. And, and mm-hmm. I've said 
on the podcast before, Ginny, when I arrived at Cruz de Ferro, the Iron Cross between Rabanal and Melina Seker, I cried like a little girl. I didn't know I mm-hmm. had that in me. I didn't know that I had that emotion in me. And I think it was largely because of nothing else except the incredible energy. And and sure. it's, it's that energy that you are drawing from to, to enable you to be in the present and to be mm-hmm. in the now. I wanted to go to your Camino itself and talk about what you went through spiritually, if I if I can. Were you a spirit? Sure. Were you a spiritual person as a twenty two year old? Um, I was raised Catholic. I was yeah, so pretty traditionally Catholic until I was about thirteen or fourteen, and it was right around the time when you normally get confirmed in the Catholic Church. Maybe I was a little bit older. I must have, I guess that's 14, 15, when I said to my parents, hey, hey, I don't think I believe in this anymore. Like, I'm not connected to our church's community. I don't really believe what they say in church. And my parents were understanding of that. My grandparents, not as much. So my parents were like, oh, you should probably still get confirmed, but do what you need. And I started to feel like, huh, you know, I'm not, I'm going through the motions, but I'm not connecting to this at all. So around that time, I think it was around 15, 16, I started to study Buddhism and I stumbled upon it the way a lot of people do through the the writer Pema Chodron has a book and I literally bumped into it in a bookstore and was feeling lousy that day and picked it up and read it and was like, Buddhism is pretty great. And then I just continued to study it and I, I, you know, up until now and now I consider myself a practicing Buddhist But when I went on the Camino when I was 22, I was still in this halfway point between I still identified as a Catholic because that was my family. And it meant so much to my grandparents' generation that we were, you know, Irish Catholics. It was the the family and this part of me that more connected with the message of Buddhism. And that's really what I believed. And I at least was at this point where – I was cool going with whatever I was. I didn't need a title at that point. I didn't – I was okay with telling people, like, hey, I'm going on this Catholic pilgrimage, but, like, it's – Yeah. It has a deeper history than Catholicism anyway, so maybe it just is what it is. It's a good spiritual thing. But that developed as I was hiking, meeting so many people who – had similar spiritual lives that didn't put themselves in a box and who respected the message and the story of the Catholic side of the Camino, but also respected all the stories that came before and after that. So there's a pagan history of the Camino. There's, you know, the millions of people who have hiked it, who believe in other things or nothing at all, but found personal growth in it. So, I believe it was one of your other guests recently who talked about how she feels great juju on the Camino. And I I loved that because that's what it is. I think when so many people are drawn to one spot in the world and they have these intentions and this energy while walking it, I mean, no matter what you believe, there's got to be some reason that that energy sticks around. And that's definitely what I found when I was there. It gave me the freedom to say like, all right, it's okay to let go of some of this Catholic identity and not feel terrible about that, but still feel respectful and appreciative of what it gave me. And also not necessarily say that I am this one other thing and and that's that. I just connected with whatever spiritual energy came at me while I was doing it and didn't question that. And that's, it was such a relief to come back home with it because Christianity, especially, you know, in the West and in America is just so strict. You are, you aren't. And it was such a relief to be somewhere where people were like, yeah, I'm Catholic, but I'm, you know, I'm okay. I'm open-minded. I'm, I'm this, I'm also a little bit this and that and that. And I suddenly felt way less alone in being this amorphous blob of, of spirituality and then over the past, you know, decade or so, it seems like that mindset has become more popular, which is really lovely to see. 
So I'm wondering if that has anything to do with the influx of people who have been hiking it, of this, you know, people saying like, oh, okay, so I might not be Catholic, but I can still do this spiritual pilgrimage and that's okay. Well, I think it's, yes. it, 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 it's a great answer, Ginny. It's okay to be spiritual, and I think it's very mm-hmm. important to have that spiritual aspect to your life. Uh, and walking the Camino and meeting people from all different walks of life, different nationalities, different religions indeed, all with mm-hmm. it, all experiencing that same energy, taking it back to their local communities and trying to maintain, if you like, the juju that Rebecca Scott spoke about. And I, and I mentioned in mm-hmm. one of my last podcasts, when you come back from skiing in Aspen, you don't want to continually engage with other people. You don't, when you go to a safari in Africa, you don't then when you get home, try and seek out the other people that you were with to try and maintain that engagement mm-hmm. with them. But the Camino is something special in that you feel part of a community because you've all shared that energy. And it has, in my mm-hmm. view, added to all of our spirituality. Yeah, and it's, we found that we, and I talked to my the friends that I hiked with, connected with people from different times, if that, yeah. you know, if, if that makes sense. Because suddenly you realized, especially when they would have these pilgrim masses, so they would have, certain churches would have masses at the end of the day that did, you know, I'm, I don't know if you came across this. Yeah that were particularly timed for pilgrims because otherwise, you know, masses were in the morning and you were hiking, so you couldn't go to them. Um, but at home, I wouldn't seek out Catholic mass anymore. But when I was there, there was something about being so exhausted at the end of the day and sitting in a church with all of these people who had just done the exact same trek that day with you, whether you saw them or not. And you just all sat together and rested in these old churches during a mass that I couldn't understand because I didn't speak enough Spanish, but it didn't matter. There was just this wonderful thing of like, I just need to be here and be quiet and peaceful with these people around me. And my friends and I talked about like, Oh, like, you know, people in other centuries who worked in farms and worked on their homes and were exhausted by the end of the day, probably also found this solace in just sitting in mass with their community. And I was like, well, that's something I can connect with. That's like the energy of the people around me that I would go to church for. Um, so it's interesting when I got back to New York, whenever I would be working a job throughout the city or running from place to place, if I had extra time and I just needed to feel quiet and peaceful, I started seeking out Catholic churches in New York because they're almost always open. They Catholic churches in particular tend to leave their doors open and you can just sit and before that, I never would have done that. I would have felt very strange and almost disrespectful just going and sitting in a church. And it's like I kind of started to get it, even if I wasn't connected to that particular religion, religious belief. It was just like I'm here to rest in the quiet with the energy of the people around me. So that was a nice thing to take away from it. Uh, so that's so great. A great image as well, those Catholic churches in New York City. You were going through so much yourself personally when you walked your last Camino. Did you engage much with other pilgrims? So you also walked with a couple of comrades, didn't you? Did you engage much with people from all around the world? Oh, sure. I mean, I feel like we had, you know, a group of, I'd say, 50 people that you you see every single day or you see every five days. It just depends on everybody's pace. Yeah, your Camino family. Yeah, and it was wonderful that, I mean, Camino people, I feel, are very similar to theater people, that within five seconds, you're talking about very personal things, and that's okay. And if you don't want to talk about your deepest, darkest secrets, that's also fine. But there's that space to do so. And it was wonderful to be somewhere where I also didn't feel like I constantly had to talk about all the stuff in my head. Like there were days when I could just be quiet and listen to whoever else just needed to speak yeah, for three yeah, hours. Yeah. And yeah, so you always felt like there was that balance in community of some days I don't want to be around anybody and I'm going to walk a hundred feet ahead of you. 
And other days I want to be with a clump of people who are all talking and laughing or crying or whatever. But it was, you know, it was just amazing to hear so many different views of how people were living their lives and how they ended up on the Camino. So I left with this idea of like, I could live my life that way, or I could, you know, drop everything and and move to India, like one of our friends had done. And yeah, it just kind of broke this view of, you know, suburban New Jersey world that everybody does this one thing and there's nothing else. So it was, I'm really looking forward to that again to being around people who just simply live their lives completely differently than you, and they're doing great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, let's get to 2017. You're about to head off again. <laughs> Where and when? I leave here um, on July 3rd with another friend from college, and we will start hiking. We're going to do the the Camino Francesa again, which is what I did last time. Yeah. We're actually doing the exact same you know, starting point that I did last time as well from Saint-Jean-Pied-de-Port, mainly because the last one meant so much to me that there was this this special thing about going through that path again as a different person, but also because the girl who I'm going with has always wanted to do that particular part, you know, from the traditional start before the Pyrenees to the end. So we were both on the same page, and that's how we knew we would be able, you know, to travel together for many other reasons. But, yeah, so we're supposed to get in, in theory, the middle of August, and that's that. So, yeah, we start walking on July 7th. Woohoo! Fantastic! Yeah, no, I'm, it's really wild. I have almost everything I need. I have uh, new shoes, a better backpack, and let's talk, it's totally different. Yeah, yeah go well, ahead. Let's talk about that. Are you better prepared, do you think, than 22-year-old Ginny Bartolone? Oh, man. Um <laughs> I don't know if my body is in as good of shape because I definitely, you know, have some issues from the first time I went. But the the thing that I'm most looking forward to is that I really want to go this time. Yeah. Is that when I went last time, it was a spur of the moment thing. I got there and I questioned it. I questioned my choice for half of the hike. But now I've been counting down the days for about six years, you know, <laughs> Like the moment I realized I needed to go back, we started to figure out how we could save up the money and how we could set aside the time. So now I'm down to, you know, less than two months. And I make a joke that the moment I I get on the airplane, I'm going to happy cry for about five days. Yeah. Because I, yeah, it's like a different world in my brain that I've thought about for so long. And I know this time that it's not going to be perfect and it's not going to be comfortable at all. But because I know that I'm really looking forward to that aspect of it, I'm really looking forward to just kind of being super uncomfortable and being challenged and not being bored in, you know, some of the predictable things that you get used to when you're living your life. Yeah. And because of that, I know that I'll look forward to coming back. So all of the things right now that I'm frustrated with in my day-to-day office life you know I'm leaving that job but it's still things are dependable right now and I I want to go away so that I can miss being here if that makes sense it does make Um, sense yeah but I want to ask you given you learned so much about yourself last time are you frightened about what's in store this time mentally I'm yeah I mean I'm definitely interested in you know what what will come up? The difference is that I've approached my anxiety in a completely different way than I did when I was 22. So in the past six years, I mean, past eight years, I've had several really fantastic therapists. I've, I meditate. I try to meditate every day. If not, it's every other day. But I've definitely found a way to reorganize my mind in a way that if bad things come up, that's all right. And I know that they will pass and I know that there are ways to handle them. Whereas when I was 22, they came up and I panicked and I froze. So yeah, I am very curious to see what will come out of this in general, but I'm not as anxious about it because I feel like I view discomfort in a very different way now. 
so if I come back a different person who doesn't want to be an actor anymore, who, you know, wants to join the circus, <laughs> that's just what it is. And I feel more comfortable with, I feel more trusting of my mind now yeah. than in the old days when it was, I was digging up some stuff that hadn't been thought about in many, many years and then didn't know what to do with it and didn't have anybody to tell. Whereas now I'm going to come back and I know that I'm probably going to feel kind of weird and, and lousy for a few weeks, if not longer, or really fantastic. So yeah, it's just kind of the flexibility this time makes me way less anxious about yeah. whatever's going to happen. I think my main hope is that my that nothing happens to my muscles, that my body can get me to the end. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Well, that's everybody thinks about that, but there's really, yeah, everybody there's really thinks nothing you can do. Happen. Yeah, there's nothing much you yeah. can do about it. Okay, so how heavy so, do you think your pack will be this time around? I, it'll be lighter than last time. I think last time it was something ridiculous, like twenty three pounds, Ow. and I don't know. Yeah, I don't know what that translates to. <laughs> this one, I'm trying to keep under fifteen. Yeah. So the backpack itself was my problem last time. I borrowed it from a friend's cousin. So it was like a friend of a friend. And the backpack was heavy. So I wasn't even starting out right. So this one I got, I mean, the technology that has come about in the past eight years for backpacks is incredible. Yeah, yeah. It's, I, I put it on recently, fully packed and hopped around my apartment. And I'm like, this is so much better than last time. And I'm just trying to bring less. I don't need all the shirts and everything else that I brought last time. I'm cutting down on liquids and soaps and things like that. Um, there's only so much you can avoid, but I'm hoping that I'm going to stick to about 15 pounds is my, is my hope. Fantastic. That's, that's very manageable. Some say your Camino starts at home. So, Ginny, what do your friends and family make of all of this, the adventure and the hardship? Because it's no holiday that you're going on. Mm -mm. Um, People this time have been really lovely. Like I said, the first time I got some really strange looks, even from people in, like, the shoe stores and the, like, things that people thought I was completely bananas. But I think now that people know what it is and it's more of a common thing to do these things and then talk about them. Yeah. I've had nothing but supportive reactions. Um, so I work at a, I work at a local school and I have for a few years and that's the job that I'm leaving at the end of June. And the second they sent out the email that said, you know, she's leaving at the end of the year and she's doing this thing. My phone started ringing with people saying, I've always wanted to do this. Can we go get a glass of wine and talk about how I can do this or, you know, I respect that you're doing this or I haven't gotten as many people say like, what a nice vacation, which did happen the first time. And I had to be like, well, it's not, you know, I'm not going to be lounging around. Um, so yeah, I'm just in, I think it's a good sign that, that people have changed on such a big hole that they, are reacting that way. And they're saying like, yeah, they're, they're not saying that sounds so nice or you must be wealthy or you must be so privileged, you know, and it is a privilege that I'm able to go. And it did take some time to save up the money and have this time to do it. But I'm, I don't feel like I'm getting resentment. Yeah. And there was this feeling last time of you must be something super special and none of us are, and I'm resenting you for being able to do this. And I, that I didn't know how to handle when I was 22. Um, and now I think I, I'm a little more prepared to explain to people like that it's maybe not what they have in their head. But for the most part, people have been really great. And I'm excited that people want to hear about it because it's all I ever really want to talk about. So, you know, if somebody lets me talk about it, I'm thrilled. <laughs> well, I just I, – I really – Wish all the best for you, Ginny, and 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 I know my listeners share that as well because you've shared so much with us via your your wonderful article and our chat from different sides of the world today. So thank you so much for your time. It's been a pleasure speaking with you, and who knows, maybe our paths will cross on the Camino one day. I hope so. Thank you so much for having me. It's it's just so nice to 
to talk about it and hear that there's such a, a big community talking about it. So thank you for, for doing this podcast. Thanks, Ginny. New York-based yeah. actor and writer Virginia, or Ginny Bartalone there. The article Ginny wrote revisiting her Camino is included in this week's podcast notes, so you'll be able to download it. And I urge you to take the time to not only read it and share it, don't just share it to the Camino community, but to the wider community as well. There's a message in it for all of us. In particular, I love that we are capable of so much more. That's all we have time for this week. I'll be back again next week with another Camino story. And until then, I'm Dan Mullins, Buen Camino. Camino.